0: We should have a fire, not because it's cold, but for the figurative warmth of of Mm -hmm. it. So, any questions tonight? Yes.
1: The uh, Acharya Manavijanayana verse Mm -hmm. talks about the Guru as the representative of all the demigods. Can you
0: say something about that? You're referring to a verse in the Bhagavatam in the 11th Canto, Krishna speaking to Uddhava, and it says, Acharya mambhijaniyata nama manita gharichit. Um, that um, you should know, Uddhava, that, uh, that I am the Acharya. Hmm. And then, of course, he goes on, say that all the, what, the powers of the gods or something, are, Sarvadeva, Sarvadeva maya Guru. Mm. Sarvadeva, embodiment of all the gods, so forth. Um, so your question is about that part, but in general, of course, this is uh, an important verse, and it's a verse that Krishna's Kavirash is. Goswami quick to cite in his um, explanation of, brief really, explanation of Guru Tattva at the opening of Chaitanya Charitamrita. <clears throat> there he wants to establish the point that the Guru, although appearing in a multitude of forms, and that for different designated purposes, to give instruction and to give initiation. In Particularly, he highlights so the siksha guru and the diksha guru, which of course there's often overlapping. Siksha guru will also, for the most part, be the siksha guru, but um, there can be a plurality of siksha gurus where the diksha guru is singular, the mantra is singular, and so forth. So, in the context of explaining about guru and a multiplicity of manifestations of the guru, a number of diksha gurus, many of them or some of them, and as well, sikhya gurus and so forth, he wants to emphasize that there is a unity at the same time. And the unity is that each of these individual uh, manifestations of the guru are manifestations of a, of a singular kind of principle, Guru Tattva, and it originates in Krishna. So um, as many representatives, let us say, of the United States government in an ambassadorial sense uh, are situated in different countries around the world um, and are all different persons, at the same time they all represent the same government, speak on behalf of the president of the United States, and so forth. So, um, he, he he wants to make a point like that, but with greater emphasis that that really Krishna is really coming to you in that way, mm. in that uh, represent it's representational, but he's really, really, really there, and it's his his siksh, his teaching that they are representing. Um, and so, this is the first verse then that he, he cites Acharya Mubijanya it's a it appears in the Bhagavatam in the context of as they say Krishna speaking to Uddhava and he's speaking about the Varnashram concept which is spoken about in a couple of places of the Bhagavatam it has to be understood in perspective mostly it's talked about as something that, that the essential message of the Bhagavat transcends as um, the bhakti-marg transcends the, the dharma-marg. We call it the uh, the prema-dharma-marg, if you will. Hmm. But at, at any rate, he, he does explain about the system uh, of Varna ashram and that in the context of, of as I say, explaining the uh, super-position, super-religious or spiritual position of bhakti. So it's interesting to, I just make that point because in the context of the Varnashram, there's a guru, a Kula guru, the family guru, family priest, and so forth. And Krishna, this is a kind of a lower level of representation, to be sure. Not even representing the Bhakti Marg and what to speak of the Rag Marg and the, the essence of the ideas that the Bhagavan is about, that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu can to distribute. Very peripheral in relation to that. And still Krishna is saying that, that, that I am that guru. So so, um, what to speak then hmm, of in a higher sense, the extent to which God is present there, there in the person of the guru, therefore we are to give all attention there. Yasyap prashada bhagavat nagati So if we sing every morning, Vishwana Chakarita by the... Satisfaction of the guru, Krishna's pleased, without satisfying the guru, we cannot satisfy Krishna, so forth. So, this is all, uh, uh, may sound ominous, it sounded ominous to Prabhupada's early disciples when he said one day in New York, so tomorrow there will be initiations, and some of the the students asked, what's that all about? And he said that the guru will be accepted as good as God. Then he walked out. <laughs> and so, some decided not to get initiated, and, and then some, of course, were ready to you know, con- to proceed, if further involved, and so forth. But properly understood, of course, it's 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 hardly uh, as as um, as I say ominous as it might sound, or with a bit of draconian or something. Uh, 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 yes, and Krishna is a dictator. <laughs> that's an autocrat, it's true. But then we look closely and we see that he rules by affection, by by attraction, by charm, by beauty, and so forth and so on. And um and and we should pay attention to the Guru as if God is present because that's in our interest. Hmm? That will be our interest. We learn something there. What we learn? We learn about how to serve Krishna.
1: Hmm.
0: Um, so it takes that kind of... The, what is the guru then? The guru, who, who is the guru? The guru is the best servant of Krishna. Kintu Prabhoyapriyevatasya. Sakshararitvena samastha shastra. All the shastras say that he's Krishna's manifest there. and and at the same time he's dear to Krishna so or she, who's dear to Krishna means who's who's a good servant of Krishna is the Guru so the Guru is teaching service the very thing that he asks us to do he or she embodies and teaches so we haven't got to be afraid of a servant Hmm. is the idea (laughs) Um, people sometimes say um Sometimes from the women's sector, and uh, we hear, can women be gurus hmm. mm. in your religion, something that, like that? Of course they can, but we have to understand, anybody can be a good servant, and that's what we're teaching. And so, the, who teaches, the, who, who does that very well, naturally becomes a teacher of that by example. Hmm? Uh, so now are you sure you want to be a guru. <laughs> Yeah, it's a quite a service. Actually, <laughs> it looks more comfortable. There's four inches up up here, <laughs> but there's quite a burden on this side, on the upper side, on on the shoulders to carry. Uh, of course, it's a burden of love. It's 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 we see someone is interested in the subject. Someone wrote me the other day and asked me a question about uh, higher topic, and I thanked them for their interest in the subject, and they said, "Why did you?" Thank I said, well, "Well, I said not many people are that interested in the subject, and and I may, I am, unless so I appreciate other people that are, and so naturally my heart goes out to them. I want to share and exchange with them, and so forth. So, so at any rate, um, this is the, the, the verse that Christian first cites, and it's an important verse, and uh, and, and intended to help us to focus our attention where we can draw the most, hmm? where we can benefit the most. Um, in a localized way, if you will, in a custom way, then Krishna's coming to us. So there we should pay the most attention. Um, so what does it mean that all the, the gods are present within him? Well, it means very simply that within Krishna, all the gods are present. So... The gods are the divine maternity. There's a godly factor. Let's say um, the the, um, the powers of nature hmm, that are beyond the control of humanity. We, we refer to as divine maternity. We personify the, the rains, the the suns, and so forth, and venerate these uh, powers or show gratitude, live in gratitude, and acknowledge in every respect our dependence we are dependent entities. I've given an example before with regard to this general Hindu idea hmm, that we also embrace um, of, of renting a house hmm, or owning a house. And then uh, in the house, you have buttons that you press, switches and you get light and valves that you turn and you get water and so on and buttons you press and you get heat and so forth. And if you go to the mailbox, you get a bill for all these things, which means there's somebody on the other end. Hmm? And that person has to be agency, is a supplying agency, and you have to pay the bill. You have to acknowledge, otherwise those buttons and valves and switches won't work. Hmm? So similarly, hmm, in nature, um, we're provided with heat, with light, with as we are today, with water, with rain, and so forth. and the idea of a natural world without any supernatural guidance so it actually it actually makes uh, it makes no sense hmm? uh, there's there's no there's no really meaning to reason without God God the conception of God a, a really um, metaphysical understanding a deep and abiding uh, understanding of God, of God, not the fundamentalist understanding that's come to be representative of religion that's then attacked by a fundamentalist, naturalist, physicalist, materialist, atheist, and so forth. We're not even involved in that. These are two people arguing about uh, uh, straw man arguments. Who God is, 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 we don't even agree with either side's Opinion, hmm? but the how deeply the the the, the sense uh, r- runs within uh, humanity uh, flows within me- humanity of, from, of of that life has meaning, it is purposeful, and so forth hmm? beyond just random uh, uh, so-called random movements of nature and so forth. This is this is so uh, it's such a deep vein of humanity that to take it out literally takes away our humanity.
1: Hmm?
0: I mean, it literally does. It turns us into robots, hmm? and and it, and, it, and reason has no position there in a world that is purely so-called natural. Naturalism is the is the is the popular term now for materialism. In a world that's natural, the natural causes only the physicalism has no supernatural um, um, source or intelligence, and so forth. Um, the very idea of that is an idea that comes outside comes from outside of naturalism <laughs> the very idea of naturalism has no place for the idea hmm? the idea of naturalism comes from outside of naturalism and there's no place within the absurdity of naturalism for for reason there's nobody to d- debate with on the other side so to speak hmm? By the admission of the very uh, definition of naturalism,
1: hmm?
0: you understand reason just doesn't it doesn't have a place there reason meaning hmm? It's like we can hear the rain on the roof. Hmm? Does it have any meaning? Well, we might think it does, but, but I mean the sound of itself to, and so the talking within a naturalistic world view the reasoning within it that's verbalized and so forth has no more meaning than the sound of rain falling on the roof. Hmm? So it's an absurd proposal. It's, it's at its core, it's absurd, hmm? and it denies so, what's so fundamental, fundamental to, I mean, in a positive way, so foundational to humanity that if you take it out, you. You, there's, it's, uh, you, you don't have a human being anymore. <laughs> hmm? You understand you, you, the, the, what what it means to be human is is taken taken out along with it. Hmm? So, uh, at any rate, we positive posit that we intuit and we readily experience that there is intelligence to uh, to life. There's uh, guiding. Principles is overarching, overriding, meaning. Um, I came in touch with a book that I I just started reading. I forget the name of the author, but interestingly enough, he wants to make an argument for God, hmm. and and he makes this point that I'm making, um, among other points. He makes the point that that the what's being debated. Of course, is what the, athe- the new atheism is 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 uh, attacking. It's just not what the founding fathers of any real religious tradition t- are talking about hmm? at all. Hmm? And, um, and 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 anyway, interestingly enough, I think he he's a Christian and a Western person by background. But what he wants to do in his book hmm, is to give a definition of God he says that this word's being thrown about but it's not really defined in such a way so he wants to give a definition and he wants to give an, a, the, the most concise and overarching meaning and what he arrived at is the subtitle in this book the title is God hmm? Being Consciousness and Bliss hmm? <laughs> such it non- that are the terms that he concluded best Define what is meant when all the religious traditions, you know, the, the real philosophical, theologian, deep thinkers, mystics, experiencers, and so forth, talk about this is what they're talking about. <laughs> of course, we couldn't agree with him more. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and so, and this is what we're about being, consciousness, or knowing, and, uh, and bliss, or, or, or loving. And so, so with our with our source and so forth. Um, so, so at any rate, with with, a, with in, coming, acknowledging that source in in even a basic way by acknowledging that we're dependent entities and showing gratitude to to nature hmm? and. Um, Venerating, you know, in some way, the sun, the the the, 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 the rains, and the Indras, and the, the Suryas, and and so on and so forth. This is the the idea is that there's consciousness behind the movements of nature. Hmm? There's an uncaused, if you will, cause hmm, behind the caused world. In modern science, it's concluded that the world, the universe, has a beginning. Hmm. So then we say, "Well, God's the beginning." They say, "What's the cause of God?" We say, "Well, there's an uncaused cause,"
1: hmm.
0: because the world has a cause it doesn't mean that that its cause has to have a cause, and so forth. And an uncaused cause, well, consciousness is uncaused. It's it's eternal. It's not it's not the universes within that time and space. So consciousness is not within time and space. Um, it's the, you know, in a macrocosmic sense, the observer that in a microcosmic or subatomic world has been shown to be uh, necessary for things to be for potentialities to become actualities, there has to be an observer. And while some people will say, "Well, maybe that happens in the subatomic world, but not in the big, in the big picture." But big things, Einstein said, are made out of small things, and so that didn't work for him too well. He was against quantum mechanics because it had spooky actions <laughs> that he couldn't relate to spooky actions niels bohr who's a big scientist too of the past he he called them influences, particularly what that what that refers to is is the what's called non locality i think bell's theorem demonstrated this non locality it means that 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 there are quantum entangled objects it means things at physical distances hmm, influence one another without any physical contact. That just uh, doesn't make sense to people, obviously, who think there has to be physical contact in order for there to be motion. I've talked about this before in relation to Newton, and the very principle of gravity was thought, to be, what's this guy talking about? There's no physical contact. But somehow they've kind of you know, embraced gravity, and nobody's really explained it, but it's okay, it's a, some kind of a force that you can you can see it's happening so in that sense you can measure it kind of hmm. so this is on, a, on a, <laughs> this is on another on a deeper level that, that just like uh it just doesn't make sense in terms of how we've been intuitively think the world works how we experience the world but it's an analogy that can be invoked and incidentally as an aside as to let's compare it hmm analogy with regard to how consciousness being non-physical can influence a physical property hmm this is the big question if there is a non-physical reality called consciousness and it's causal it has an influence well how does it influence it we can't trace it out we can't measure it so how why should we believe that it's that it has an influence or that it's for that matter, non-physical it must be physical, hmm? and it must not be causal. Hmm? It must be the popular idea is a a, a emergent property of the mind. Hmm? Francis Kirk, Kirk, I think his name is, is a famous physicalist, and he uh, he came out with a statement some time back, not so long ago, the astonishing hypothesis. He called, he referred to it. that that consciousness is just an emergent property of the brain and the implications of which there's nobody really there. The lights are on, but nobody's home and so forth. This so-called astonishing um, hypothesis, uh, Noam Chomsky pointed out that it's nothing new. It's been around since the time of Hume, hmm, who made the same proposal and he gave us an analogy hmm, that just as the liver excretes bile, so the brain excretes consciousness. So, obviously, it should be noted that analogies don't prove anything. Mm. (laughs) First of all, mm, while people may latch on to that, number one. And number two, it's not a very good analogy because bile and liver are similar physical properties. But consciousness... And brain is, too. But consciousness is totally you know, different. It's experiential. It's not non-experiential like liver and bile and, uh, and brain. Hmm. So it's a bad analogy to begin with. And for that matter, all examples in nature of emergence, as I've said before, hmm, are such that the properties that emerge from the... One property, the emergent property, hmm, is in some form already in the property it emerges from. It just emerges in a different form. So bile is a different form of of liver, if you will. Hmm? Follow? It's already there in the liver. Hmm? Bile is not entirely different from liver, like consciousness being experiential. is entirely different from non-experiential stuff. Matter, hmm. and then of course, if you want to go analogies, we invoke this analogy: How is it that that non-physical reality can influence physical um, reality without any physical contact? Well, we have examples in nature of physical objects influencing other physical objects without any physical contact. Hmm. So there can be contact without physical influences. It's again just an analogy. It's a better one than Hume's <laughs> and for the opposite uh in support of the other, opposite understanding. Analogies is they don't prove anything, but they do give us ways of thinking about things that uh, that can bring insight and so forth. So So at any rate, our position is, of course, that consciousness is is primary, and and that um, that we as units of consciousness um, cause things to happen just by being present. Hmm? Some things only happen because somebody's watching. Hmm? There's an astronomer, the royal astronomer of Camp University of Cambridge, who said something to the effect that um, that. Before the universe was observed, it was just potentiality. Speaking a little poetically, but it's just right out of the Bhagavatam, Saiyikshita, and he glanced, and that was what was a a fertile uh, base of ground of potentialities, the modes of nature in 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 balance, in equi-balance, was disturbed by the observing eye of, of of Vishnu consciousness and the the whole thing set into motion, something like that. Um, and we admit, of course, the Bhagavatam itself is speaking poetically and so forth, but it's its point is well well taken. It's not it's not something that can be empirically proved, but but we don't think that empirical um um uh, measurement has any uh place with regard to such proofs. It can prove certain things, it has its value hmm, within limitations, but that it can that it can prove a that, that there's a non physical I mean it's backwards to think like that. Hmm? um the existence of a non-physical reality that has causal influence so, so the whole the insistence on such to prove it empirically um it, it's just like consciousness theoretically and god theoretically are above intellect reason and senses from which we get data and make empirical observations and so forth and so you take, for example, the, the, the scientific experiment, the controlled experiment, which has been honed and this is you know the basis of science. You control the environment, you make an experiment, you get the data, and then we know what's going on. Well, the whole premise there is that you make a control you have a controlled environment, but you can, you can only control something that's inferior to you. you can't control, if there's something if there is something superior to the natural world. Then you can't control it. So it's not going to show up in your controlled experiment. That's a given to begin with. So the argument for like he's not showing up in the controlled experiment. Psh, why should I accept him? It's 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 ridiculous. It's absurd to begin with.
1: He's
0: hmm? not supposed to show up. He, he's a no-show for the court date. Uh, prove that you exist. The, in- the intellect insists. That, that the Godhead or consciousness proves that it exists, I and mean, consciousness looks back and says, <laughs> "Are you nuts? You couldn't even think without me. <laughs> you couldn't even make decisions without me. And and, and, and you want to question whether I exist? Have a nice day. I got better things to do than to show up in the court of reason. And of course, that's reasonable hmm? to uh, to 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 conclude." that there are things that, that uh, transcend reason. That's how we feel. Hmm? As I often say, that there's more to life than what meets the eye and the mind. That's what we're already looking, really looking for. This is human, what human life is about. It's so ingrained. It runs so deeply at the core of human, our humanness, that to take it out and dismiss it is to do away with, really, humanity. Hmm? And it, we pride ourselves being different from Separate from the, from the, uh, the, uh, less complex species of life. But, but naturalism makes us no different whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now some people may like that in a quasi-spiritual way, that yes, we're all, but that's another thing. <laughs> yeah. so, there is an equality, that, you know, but it's not on the material level. At the core of our being there's an equality. Of course, we accept that. We conduct ourselves accordingly as well. But in all of this, we're going off on various interesting uh, tangents, nonetheless. The idea is that nature has consciousness behind it. hmm? And whatever kind of evolution there is in the world, it's consciousness-driven. And... um, and so the, the Hindu basically lives with, with gratitude to the sun and to the moon and to the rains and, and so on and so forth. Hmm. What do we find in Bhagavatam? In Bhagavatam, in the middle, in the midst of the Braj-lila, in Krishna's lila, we find the Indra-yagya is going to be performed. So they're going to honor Indra who gives the rains. Hmm. And what does Krishna do? Krishna stops it. Now it's good on one level... But he wants to take them to a higher theistic uh, and spiritually experiential level, hmm? from a level of gratitude towards nature, and, and 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 a system by which we honor that there's consciousness behind the movements of nature, and we individualize those those movements of nature. Rains, Indra, Sun. Like this, for the sake of worship, hmm, and so forth. Uh, all of these, the consciousness that influences nature, these are delegated consciousness powers, if you will. Well, Krishna's two Bhagavan Sayam, right? Hmm? It's, they're all in Krishna and more. And Krishna, the Gita, what does he say? Oh, he says, you know, those who worship the demigods are less intelligent. Hmm? It's not a bad thing, but Gita is trying to, from his very beginning, is trying to take Arjuna to a higher level. Arjuna gives arguments from the point of view of Dharma and Krishna, from the beginning of his speech to the end, when he says, Sarva Dharman Nprita Jamami Raja says, forget this hmm? Dharma idea. Hmm? I'm teaching something else that includes that and, 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 and much more. Hmm? Forgo the Dharma for hmm? something higher. He, he shuts down his arguments in the beginning of the chapter. Calls uh, the, chapter two his arguments from chapter one. Calls him a fool, and puts the moral law in its place hmm? in relation to the spiritual ideal. Hmm? He, 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 he verily says that in the, in the second chapter. Look, there may be problems. If you pursue this war, which is really the death of the ego,
1: hm? That
0: but 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 because of the intent, what it's about, they all be you'll not be culpable for them, whatever may happen. Hmm? You're supposed to obey thy father and mother. It's right in the Bible. Hmm? But Raghunadas Goswami ran away from home. <laughs> To join So he deviated from the Dharma, but he was not, uh, he did not incur any sin from that. That's what Krishna says. You getting incur no sin. Sin and come to me. If it, if it requires sin to come to me, do it without thinking of it for a minute. Don't hesitate for a minute. This is the whole, the central, center of the Bhagavatam. There were 108 million reasons why the gopis shouldn't have gone the night, the sound of Krishna's fleet, but they went without even a second thought. Without hesitating for a moment, they went. Hmm? And from a social point of view, from a family point of view, from a a religious point of view, their their actions were condemned. Hmm? They didn't give it a second thought. And they are celebrated in the society today. In the Bhagavat, they are celebrated, they their ideal, their example. Makes following of the national, religious, and family obligations seem very provincial, very small, and very selfish. And meanwhile, on the surface, they're running off in the night, looks selfish. So love has a way of camouflaging itself, hiding itself. You have to look very closely. Nasta praesu abadush nitum nityam to seva. You have to look very closely every day. Study the bhagvat, <laughs> and you have to understand what's going on there. What's that about? Hmm? What is the moral law? The general idea of religion, which in the Hindu concept involves respecting the gods and goddesses, and and they say, oh, you know, the Christian. Some of the Christians they got thirty-three million gods over there. Where do you begin? Crazy. Hmm? Um, we can answer the question <laughs> begin with Krishna <laughs> Krishna's too Bhagavan Swayam these are all like ideas they're partial representations of the divinity so when we go to the source and, 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 and how in what way hmm? with the whole heart you have to go there hmm? not with things that you sacrifice and forego to, to appease the gods and goddesses but with your whole heart <laughs> you must go this is Krishna's teaching in the Govardhan Leela. all go the Indra Yagya. Bring everything and use everything in the service of the Govardhan. And he, show, Hill, he shows himself to be the Govardhan Hill. And of course, he, he's teaching a higher principle. He's teaching Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. He's teaching that and um, Satisfying Krishna all the demigods at least Comparatively, the idea of appeasing the gods is for material purposes, material well-being and so forth. It's it's less intelligent. Material well-being is, in one sense, an oxymoron. Hmm? We're not material. As long as we are identified with matter, um, our being is not well. (laughs) We're not doing well. Hmm? So, he, he takes it to to a, a higher level there mm-hmm. and um so this is uh, uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism and therefore the guru who in Gaudiya context Krishna is Acharya Madhvamiji and Sarvadeva myo guru so if Krishna is fully swayam bhagavan krishna is represented there mm-hmm. Krishna Skabiraj's uses his language says Sakshad Brajandranandan hmm? it was directly Krishna he's talking about Krishna in Vrindavan Brajandranandan hmm? Braj Indra the Indra of Braj hmm? it means that's Krishna <laughs> the other Indra he doesn't, he doesn't live in Braj hmm? he lives in the clouds what do we have to do with him hmm? No. Oh, Krishna, this is so close to the human heart, the human experience, so much answers to our humanity. And he's a Brajbasi, so he's the Brajindra, he's the nandan he's the joy, the bliss. Hmm? Oh. The, 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 the blissful Indra of the Braj. Hmm? Hmm. Giving bliss to all the people, as though he nourishes them with bliss. Adananda hmm. and lots of prasadam <laughs> which is all an outgrowth of Ananda, really properly understood. It's, it's a loving offering. It's an act of love, hmm? isn't it? A wise act of love. And there's a, there's a reciprocal, uh, there's reciprocation that follows. We call it grace, prasad Mm-hmm. So, living on the bounty of bliss, don't do that, if you will. Um, so, Krishna, if Prajana Krishna is there, then all the gods are there. This means, means that you should pay all attention to the guru, Krishna is directly there, and you don't have to pay any attention to any other gods or goddesses and do all these... Uh, be concerned about various rituals and rites and religious observances and so on and so forth Hmm? give up religion and do bhakti this is is what the idea is and the divinity is fully represented there in the person of Krishna and correspondingly um, in the person of, of the guru does that help? This is the idea. What else? Um, so I was reading the sixth chapter of the Gita. It commented that there's five phases of mind, and they correspond with the three modes of nature. Five phases of what? Of like the mind, like there's um. I'll have to read it. <laughs> mm, okay. I wrote it, but. Well, I was wondering if you could give some examples of like those five phases and how they correspond with um, goodness, passion, and ignorance, like. The middle phase was like um, the mind is distracted. Um, that corresponds with passion. Maybe I should get the Gita. I'd have to look at the section. Why, why don't you refer me to it? I'll look at it and we can discuss it tomorrow. I can't recall what you're what you're talking about. What else? Yes. In the second chapter of the Gita,
1: <clears throat> where Krishna is speaking to Arjuna in telling him he's a spirit, soul, and so on. In chapter thirty, thirty one, thirty two, he's also talking about
0: dharma and how if you don't fight then you lose your reputation. And why is Krishna saying that okay, reputation yeah. is so important? Well, Arjun gave arguments as to why he shouldn't fight based on Dharma, Shastra, based on Aharthashastra, lower lower reasons. The Second chapter begins. Krishna dismisses it all hmm? and tries to take it to a higher level, right? And he speaks about the nature of the soul. So he speaks um, not about religious human life, but about spiritual life. And this is what he really wants to talk about. After all, it's Upanishadic. It's not about. It's not the Dharma Shastra, the Bhagavad Gita. So Krishna then. Uh, speaks to, to to an extent over a number of verses about the nature of the self, Yatma. Hmm? Mostly about its 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 being aspect hmm? in as much it, as its being Sat is without transformation, which means that unlike the material manifestations that are born, mature, uh give off by-products, dwindle and vanish, that the atma yourself doesn't do that. So it's sat. It doesn't undergo transformation. That means it has no beginning, it has no end. Krishna begins to speak about this aspect of the self because, well, the the argument is about perishing. Some people are going to perish. Hmm? Krishna says nobody dies. Everybody's sat. You're sat. Hmm? So this is how he begins to speak about the self. Hmm. Sat, later he'll speak about its chit, and to some extent its ananda, which is fully developed in the Bhagavatam. Hmm. So, but a beginning anyway. Then, after he finishes his discourse, his brief and initial discourse on the nature of the self, he reverts back to the arguments of Dharma and makes a, a slight effort to refute Arjuna on the basis of the arguments themselves hmm? and he 's not entirely successful
1: hmm?
0: as the commentators point out hmm? <laughs> because he make some arguments that if you want to argue on that level, then okay, Krishna's I'll come back and argue with you and and then uh, for a chatriaya, reputation's a big thing. You, you, you want to be a good example, People tishvestas, kings, princes like yourself should be an example for others, so it's important to you, reputation, and so forth. And so, if this, this will be spoiled if you don't fight because it's a righteous fight. He says like this, Arjuna, Baladevijabhusam makes the point in his commentary that Arjuna, at the end of Krishna's brief addressing of the arguments of Dharma, says, yeah, but if I do, you know, this, that, then still, for whatever you say, still some Brahmins are going to be killed, some women are going to be killed, and that's sinful. And Balivajibhujan makes the point that Krishna ultimately says to Arjuna, the implication of his conclusion on that, of that section is that, yeah, you're right, but hmm, the nature of what I'm talking about ultimately is such that if you... Do what I'm asking you to do, with that in mind, with spiritual life in mind, rather than religious life, realizing the self, and of course, ultimately um, engaging in bhakti. Then, then it doesn't matter. Whatever sins will be incurred, but it doesn't matter. They have no, they have no capacity to. Uh, bear down on you by way of reaction. It's a very strong statement that concurs with the end of the Gita.
1: Hmm.
0: There, The statement is basically that the, the moral life is transcended by spiritual life and there couldn't be a more powerful example. If you kill, and in the context of killing, let's say you're going to go to war in Iraq, but innocent people are going to be killed. Hmm. What about that? Yes, that this is the quandary. But there's the enemy, whatever. And then, but then there's innocent people, and then, so this is kind of Arjuna's quandary. And Krishna dismisses it. Of course, it has nothing to do with Iraq and what, what they're fighting for—nationalism and, and for resources and natural resources and so on and so forth. And the whole thing's insane. But um, the Gita's is talking about really an ego death, and it's saying whatever whatever you may do in the course of pursuing this that involves neglecting religious duties or um, um, contradic- acting contradictory to those laws and so forth. There's no there's no reaction. And that's again the conclusion of the Gita. Hmm. So basically he just tries to come back and say all right well, if you want to talk about it on that, we'll talk about it on that level too. Hmm. And tries to Admits him from that that point of view, but again, ultimately, he admits there's no way around it. Hmm? Um, even for that matter, the moral law in 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 the Mahabharata, for example, in the Dharma Shastras is, is is just making up for the inevitable. You know, it's like it's like a big karma, uh, What do they say? Carbon offsets is all it is. It's a whole. Understand? It's all about, you know, environmentally speaking. Well, okay, if I'm going to drive a car or fly a plane, then I'm going to give some. I don't know how they do it. They pay some money for something else that offsets my carbon usage over here. Um, I pay for something else, so there's the forest isn't cut down or something. I don't know how it all works, but um, and so that's all that the whole dharma shop is like. It doesn't really get you away from any sins. Hmm? It's inevitable. If you want to live in this world as a human, well, you have to step on people. Somebody has to die in order for you to live. On some level, you have to take, and somebody has to be without, and so then you're constantly making up for it. That's what the whole thing's about. The whole Dharma is constantly making up for the very problem that human life involves. It's taking. A taking that's involved in preserving a false eye, a false identity. Hmm? It can't be maintained, but you're addicted to it, identified with it, attached with it, and so it gives some system of okay, and then you make up for it, and in the context of doing all that, one day you wake up and go, does this make any sense? Hmm? Pujapachidamarsh gave a more a radical example of meat eating. Hmm? And he, he explained that that there was in this in this Shastras there's the Mantra, mamsa, I think mamsa means me, he, me, he, me, he. So before they kill the goat, hmm, and make a religious sacrifice out of it and so forth, they say this mantra, into the ear of the goat, which says, the implication of which is, now I'm killing you, hmm, and therefore you have the right to kill me in the future. So let's eat. (laughs) Well, you know, how long are you going to keep doing that? What does that mean anyway, that mamsa, that we say daddy every time? I don't know, actually. We just uh, look it up, you know. Oh, is that what... It says, well, here it is. It says that I'm eating you now and I give you permission to eat me in the future. You kind of lose your appetite over that. So it's the whole whole Dharma, uh, you know, path is basically that's what it's about, that kind of thing, Hmm? all these compromises and uh, it's a compromised life. So then, so you do it, and it's ordained in the sacred texts, and it's a it's it's a better way of living than, than without any offset or anything or any sense of that. But in the context of that, you're supposed to like wake up one day and think, well, "What am I doing this for?" And and and, and 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 of course, you have faith in the Dharma Shastras that say, "You know, you do it like this, you do it like this, and you won't get that reaction." And so when you do it like this. And, you'll get this reaction, you get a good reaction, you'll have the sun by these potions and these these mantras and this kind of worship and so forth. And so it happens, so that you get faith in the Shastra. This is really the fruit of the Dharmic orientation. The fruit of it, in any enduring sense, is the faith in the sacred text, which then may cause you, hopefully, to look more deeply into the text and find out there says something more than this carbon offset type thing. Hmm. <laughs> it, 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 it says actually you're not a human hmm? and so you can actually be free from causing any disturbance to others to start with and that then no one will be disturbing you either, shanti, shanti, shanti you can have peace, peace of mind how does that sound? peace, that sounds good there's all these carbon offsets, this is a trip, you know. And, and I realized I've got to get paid for it, you know. i got to be born as a goat and be eaten by somebody. <laughs> just so that I could, I could feel my belly other ways. Hmm? Might even be more healthy, and so forth. So, so we, we come to the basic spiritual idea. Atato brahma Jignasu, masmi I'm Brahman. Now, so inquire about Brahman. Whoa, it makes the world of Dharma look so narrow. And selfish, mean-spirited, even the pious, religious people, and and I was trying to be that, it was just be a big meanie, actually taker. Hmm? And so this is a bigger idea, and then then beyond that, this bhakti idea, bhakti rasa. Whoa, makes Brahman look small, hmm? right? <laughs> makes thought look small, hmm. make chit look small, make a measure of its ananda. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know why everybody doesn't join us. It's just so, so nice. <laughs> Such nice ideas. All right, we stop there. Sri Gauri Vaishnava Guru Paramparaki Jai. Sri Sri Gauri Nitenanda Ki Jai. Jai. Gauri Bhakta ki Jai. Jai. Gauri Premanande.
1: Hari